The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Have you ever thought of all the different sensory inputs that you're getting like all day long or just in this moment? That's what we're talking about today and how that can impact how we communicate. Let's keep calm and mother on. Mothering is way too important to do alone and way too serious to be serious all the time. My name is Christy Thomas, and I am here shoulder to shoulder with you, mothering and enjoying life together. This is the podcast where you can focus on being mindful and taking a deep breath with me and learning new things so you can pause and savor the amazing life you already have. Jesse Ginsberg is a sensory integration trained speech language pathologist and CEO of Pediatric Therapy Playhouse, a top-rated clinic in Los Angeles. She's an international speaker, creator of the global inside-out sensory communication programs for parents and professionals, and soon-to-be mom to four boys. I am over the moon excited to welcome Jesse Ginsberg to Keep Calm and Mother on today. Welcome, Jesse. Thank you. Excited to be here. So I found you on Instagram because you live across the country from me. I'm in the D.C. area and you're over in L.A. Um, but tell us what you do, because I've read your introduction, but speech language pathology is kind of a confusing thing. It is. That's true. <laughs> and very broad scope. But yeah, I am a pediatric speech language pathologist. I'm best known for being trained in sensory integration, which is fairly unusual in the speech field. And I run a private practice in Los Angeles. I teach parents and professionals internationally through my online programs. And I'm also the mom of soon to be four. So pregnant with baby boy number four right now, weeks away from that. (laughs) That is fantastic. So I guess the first question is, um, why, why does an SLP care about sensory needs? Like what made you dive into that? Or, or even let's back that up. One, when would a mom reach out to needing an SLP? Can we start there? Yeah, lots of reasons too. And I could speak more specifically to, you know, what I do mm-hmm. and the kids that I see. And in our clinic, we see a lot of kids coming in around like 18 months, two years old. So these are usually kids who are either not yet talking or they're delayed in their talking. And that's where they end up ultimately with us. Okay. And would that be like pointed out by like a pediatrician? How would a parent decide to know that they're delayed? Because I remember I have three kids of my own and my 10 year old was um, not talking enough, but the pediatrician kind of shrugged it off at his like two year checkup because he had big sisters and big sisters were talking for him. But as the mom, I didn't take that answer 
And then I looked for an SLP for him. But how do you know when to look? Yeah, I would say, unfortunately, that's not uncommon for that's unfortunate. <laughs> to dismiss parents' concerns or they make up a bunch of reasons why they might not be talking. But, you know, the truth is kids should meet very specific milestones, whether they are speaking one, one language or multiple language, they should still be meeting and how many siblings they have. And if they're a boy or a girl, they should still be meeting, you know, very specific language milestones. But there is, I think, a at least I've seen locally in Los Angeles mm-hmm. over the past few years, a bigger push for families being sent to us sooner because we're getting a lot more kids coming in at like 15, 16, 17, 18 months. Those are tiny kids. Yeah. And it used to be, you know, two, two and a half, three. Mm -hmm. And those months make such a huge difference. Well, excellent. So ask the questions, push for it, be an advocate for your kid. If you have any concerns is what I'm hearing. You know, it depends on your insurance coverage, of course, but yep. Generally speaking, you don't need a pediatrician to refer you to speech therapy. You can opt in and you can go yourself. That's good to know. So how did you decide that sensory needs was something that you needed to look at with these tiny kids that you're working with? Yeah, so I started really working as a therapist and it was when I started working with autistic kids where sensory really came into my life because Mm -hmm. a lot of autistic children have sensory differences. So they are experiencing the world differently. You know, they could be really sensitive to certain input or less sensitive to others. So when you think about sensory, you know, you can kind of think about all the senses you have, your vision, your hearing, your touch, all of this. So a child might be really sensitive to sounds, which could make it really hard for them to stay calm and regulated, you know, in a classroom, in the preschool, when it's busy at home, they could be really sensitive to touch. And that could cause a lot of trouble with just dressing, brushing teeth, uh, being around other kids. You know, there's so many ways that they can experience sensory input differently. And, you know, I, very carefully use the word differently because we think about, you know, a lot of times I think in our heads and we do this as parents Mm -hmm. is we invalidate intentionally or not invalidate what our child is experiencing. You know, like that sweater's not itchy. You're fine. Go put your sweater on right now. Yeah. Like you wore that sweatshirt yesterday. How could that tag annoy you today when you didn't notice it? and your socks are on the top. They shouldn't bother. You're not stepping on them, you know? And it's like I said, a lot of the times it's really unintentional, but the reason I say they experience the world differently is because it's not that they are just making a bigger deal out of something that they're experiencing the same way as us. You know, for a child who's sensitive to touch, they're feeling that itchy sweater at a much greater intensity than you or I would feel that that sweater is itchy. So it's really about validating what they're experiencing and and helping them trust their bodies and what they're experiencing is real. Is there a way or like an experiment that a parent could do to help put themselves in their kids' shoes? Because a lot of us didn't grow up or 
with the acknowledgement that sensory was a thing that like it was an input that you could label. And I know my husband talks about how he couldn't walk down the laundry detergent aisle as a kid. Um, like all the smells and the chemicals of it was too much and the sun was often too much. So those weren't things that we talked about or had permission to say. Um, but now our kids just kind of tell us with their words and we're asking them questions, I think, more about it. So how do we label sensory stuff or how do we practice it as a parent? Great question. I think that the first thing that you can do is try to understand your own sensory needs. And it feels, I think when I tell parents that, it almost feels like some extra unnecessary step. (laughs) But I only say that because for me as a parent, I went into this field and started learning about sensory to help my clients, but I didn't realize that it would completely change my whole family life. And just in my own family, me and Chris and our, and who's also an SLP and three boys, and we all have such different sensory needs. And it's to the point where, you know, Chris and I are complete opposites. <laughs> so like one thing you can think about for yourself is, do you, in general, like having just a little bit amount of sensory input or a lot? So kind of do you have like a small cup for it or does yeah. it take a lot to fill your cup? So are you the kind of person who is always looking, you know, to move around and run errands? And do you are you constantly like shaking your foot and tapping your pencil? And are you... Do you enjoy listening to loud music? Do you enjoy, you know, lots of touch experiences? So does it take a lot? Yeah. And do you look for a lot or do you just look for a little? And yeah. you know, for me, I'm the, what's called a low threshold. You know, you have a small cup. <laughs> okay. For me, it's like I have a very precise volume I want on the TV. If it's like two numbers above, that's going to bother me. Um <laughs> Same thing, listening to music, same thing. Like when I get home, I want to relax. When Chris gets home, he wants to go to the grocery store. He wants to go to Home Depot and he wants to go to Target. Right. But it's something as it's sensory affects us so much in that way where he needs lots of movement in order to fill his cup. And to me, that would be a really overwhelming amount of movement to have (laughs) experience in a day. So I think when you think about yourself, I would say, think about what bothers you, you know, because it's easy to think about the things we like, like, oh, massage is great. Oh, lavender, you know, (laughs) think about what you can't stand. And for me, one thing I can't stand is wool sweaters. (laughs) There is no amount of money you could pay me to wear a wool sweater for like a day. That's amazing. I think you think about yourself, you think about the things you really don't like, and then you can start to understand your child's experiences a lot better. Yeah, you can pull that string a little bit. Like, I really hate buzzing overhead lights. Like, I would rather have on lamps in any room or no lights than have a buzzing sort of light. Um, But yeah, it takes a lot to pull that out. And then you realize that you're in this world, right, with all this input all the time, and you can't control all of it. Um, so when you're working with a kid, why is sensory input important? So 
we can very easily get dysregulated. And when we get dysregulated, our brain basically goes into survival mode. Okay. So its job is to protect us. Its job is not to learn and to build language and to communicate and to problem solve and to think abstractly. So when we get into the state of dysregulation, the state of overwhelm, it's like our ability to learn goes out the window. Our ability to put sentences together coherently goes out the window. We know that our problem solving isn't great in times of major stress. So what I learned through my work was I was seeing these kids who had Mm -hmm. sensory differences, which were very easily dysregulating them. And as a result, I couldn't do my job. My job was work on communication. My goal, my job was get them more words, get them more yeah. language. When they're dysregulated, they're trapped in that part of their brain where they're in survival mode and they didn't have access to the, the learning parts of their brains in those moments. Does this happen with just little kids or does it happen with grownups too? Like this does regulation. It's not age limited, is it? No. Yeah. I mean, it can be any person. And something else that's really interesting is that, you know, every person is different. And if you are a person who has experienced high levels of trauma in your life, you will be more triggered to go into that survival mode in your brain a lot quicker and you may have a harder time coming out of it, right? You may have a harder time being resilient because of the past trauma that you've experienced. So it absolutely is true. Like imagine if someone um you loved just had a major car accident and you didn't know what was going on with them and then someone else came up to you and said, okay, but what do you want to have for dinner tonight? You would be like, what are you like my brain? You couldn't even put together a sentence to be able to say, what is wrong with you? Why am I thinking about dinner? My husband or someone just got hurt. Right. So it's the same thing. So is sensory regulation different than emotional regulation? Yeah. And there are a lot of of types of regulation, but I would say that those are the biggest ones that affect kids that I see. And, you know, I think what's something that's really interesting and just I've learned this through work through my online programs, you know, we've worked with thousands of therapists, parents globally, and Mm -hmm. we see the same thing, which is a lot of times families will come to me because they think their child is having a sensory issue when yes, they might have sensory differences, but then when they describe the problem, a lot of the times it's really has more of an emotional oh. foundation to it, you know, and I think that's where it's so important to think about not just how do I get this child's sensory needs met, but how do I get their emotional needs met? How do I help them to feel safe and secure? Yeah. And, but you know how our brains are is we make associations between everything so Mm -hmm. you might um touch especially like our touch sense our brain's job when when we touch something is to either tell us that was painful or i have pleasure from that okay it's that black and white touch i like it i didn't like it so imagine a child who's sensitive to touch having these experiences early on that are painful And now all of a sudden it's going to trigger this emotional response in the future that touch is painful. You know, hugs aren't painful. 
when someone wants to pat my back, that's not comfortable for me. So there's a huge overlap. So when you have a kid that's dysregulated or a grown up that's dysregulated, how do you get back online, right? Like, how do you, how do you become regulated again? Like, if you're able to realize, oh, these socks are really annoying me, um, is it as simple as taking off the socks or are there different things we have to do? So a few things to think about. One thing that I feel like I'm just always preaching is how can we be more proactive when it comes to sensory needs and less reactive? Because I think we've really gotten to a place where, you know, I, a lot of teachers, a lot of professionals, parents are very reactive. It's like, I'm going to let the child do this or I'm going to have make them do this activity and then I'll deal with the consequences. Yeah, just you know? kind of power through it. Yeah, and then the child will get dysregulated and then I'll have to get them back on track. But there are so many things that we can do to be more proactive. And when we can learn about our kids' sensory needs, we can avoid the things that are going to bother them and we can give them the things that they really need so that that doesn't happen. Because, you know, for so many kids, and I have an autistic friend who just got diagnosed at like 35 with Mm -hmm. autism, and she said, I had no idea. She took my online course. She's a, she's an SLP. Yeah. She took my online course and she said, I never knew any of this. And I've literally experienced my whole life going through the day, just powering through and having a meltdown every day. <laughs> and now I know how to be more proactive and now I could go through my day and not have a meltdown. You know, it's as easy as just making some adjustments to your day. What are some basic things that a parent could experiment with? Is it just observation and noticing what triggers a kid? Is there any like go-to help if you're a parent that's super overwhelmed and you're like, I know my kid is reacting to something? That's a big part of it. And that brings me back to even your last question of what can you do? And yeah. I think this where the conversation is so important to be having about how about co-regulation versus self-regulation. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think we have this unrealistic expectation that, oh, well, he needs to self-regulate. And we all have these goals of, oh, just go put him in his room and he'll self-regulate. And then he could come out when he is feeling better. Yes. Um, but, you know, co-regulation is regulating with another person. Mm-hmm. And that is... A, not something that ever goes away, the need to co-regulate. You think about you have a stressful day, you get in the car to drive home, who, you're going to call your mom, you're going to call your husband, you're going to call someone yeah. to co-regulate, mm-hmm. right? So first of all, that never goes away, the need to do that. And second of all, we have this idea that like self-regulation just like pops up one day, like the child doesn't have it, and then all of a sudden, they're supposed to have it. Well, yeah, but I think this starts with infancy, right? Like, we're trying to teach them to self-soothe. I remember, like, a big push. Yeah. Like, don't let your baby fall asleep while nursing, or don't let them do this. But they'll never learn how to self-soothe. Yeah, but, you know, self-regulation is developed through co-regulation. It's developed through those those interactions you have with your caregiver and someone who's attuned to your needs, someone who is able to really give you what you need. And so 
that co-regulation piece is so key. And I would say if there's like one thing to take away, it would be that. And the thing is that (laughs) we can't co-regulate if we're not regulated. So it's really hard, (laughs) Jesse. It almost opens a can of worms because we know as parents, how hard that can be, right? Like absolutely easier for us to go say, go to your room and come back in five minutes when you're calm. Right. But like you're, you're reacting that way because you're dysregulated. Yep. So by far, and I I haven't figured out the secret to parenting yet. I wish I had (laughs) that I could share, but I think that's like, that's gotta be the biggest challenge is knowing that, your little humans need you and they need you regulated. And if you're not regulated, you can't help them regulate. And I don't think there's any, you know, perfect parent on the planet who's always doing the right thing and providing their kids exactly what they need, but it's at least something we can think about. And yeah, it's a mom to teenagers, a 16 and almost 15 that, they still need that co-regulation. Like I still need to be able to take a deep breath and try to figure out what I'm feeling in order to meet them where they are. Um, and I'm assuming that doesn't go away, right? Like we still call our moms or yeah. to co-regulate. So you can't help a kid if you're not regulated yourself is what I'm hearing. I mean, in theory, that's <laughs> how it is, you know, um, it's very, hard like if your child is really emotionally dysregulated it could be really hard for you to Mm -hmm. be that how are you going to be the calm to their storm you know if you're feeling that but for me I feel like I and my kids are young you know they're six four and not even two yet yeah so we are like in the eye of the storm every (laughs) day you are (laughs) there's a lot of high demands yeah but I think um you know, parents, we have this like emotional connection. And I was listening to your la- your recent episode on when you don't like your kids. Yes. <laughs> I'm laughing because sometimes you're so frustrated, but it's like, you know, they need that hug. Mm-hmm. And then you go in and you give them that hug and you realize, oh, I needed this. Absolutely. So much, especially those long hugs, right? That activate the calm in you. I think it's a 20 or 30 second hug science says that like helps your whole nervous system know that you're home, you're with your people because long hugs trigger that. And I think, so I think sometimes just even if you're feeling dysregulated yourself, initiating that action Mm -hmm. will calm both of you, you know, because it's like that. I don't know why our brains and bodies do this to us, but it's like when you get your infant to sleep and then you hear them cry, it's like your whole body goes like, into alarm mode. Absolutely. You were so calm. And now all of a sudden, everything's ruined. Everything's on fire. <laughs> but it's the same thing with, I think you finally get in there, you give your kid a hug or you pat their back and then you hear them like let out that sigh yeah. where you know that the de-escalated, de-escalation is starting. Mm-hmm. And then it's like you automatically feel that too. It's pretty magical. What strategies do you use? Are hugs on your list as a mom with your kids? How do you help go into that regulation? My own children and my clients were big hugging people. That's awesome. Um, But, you know, my kids have different needs. So my six-year-old, he 
doesn't always want to be hugged. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he wants to be alone. Mm-hmm. And he calls me and we talk about it because, and we talk about it after he's calm, you know, because yeah. like if he's crying and I'm not there, I feel this guilt that I should be there. And then we talk about it. Obviously I make him talk about it when yep. he's back to regulated self. And sometimes he just wants to be alone, you know, and he'll have times when he's upset and he doesn't want to talk to me, but he'll write me a note. Yep. And, um, my four year old's totally different. My four year old would like have me hold him for hours. <laughs> yeah. My, my youngest is big into like deep pressure and heavy work sort of stuff. And so like when he's dysregulated, he really needs those big bear hugs and like the rough house a little bit, but like in a gentle way. Um, it's interesting how each kid is so different. And my oldest likes to, calm herself down and then come back. Um, and when she was little, I remember having to learn that I could sit outside in the hallway of her bedroom, but being in her room wasn't helpful. And then, yeah, I, it's, yeah, it is interesting because <laughs> parents have such different views or I think I did a video once on how kids need us to co-regulate. And there were a lot of parents who were like, but my kid doesn't want me yeah. there. Like, well, I, I'm not trying to talk to every person in the world. <laughs> you. Exactly. Okay. It's so hard. There's so much learning and unlearning in parenting that it's exhausting. But you just got to take what you can. Um, so I had one more question is that I heard a rumor one time that it takes 20 minutes to get re-regulated. Is that true? Is there a magic number to get back online? I think it completely depends. It totally depends on the circumstance. It depends on the child. I mean, we will have kids who could take hours. Like you'll hear parents saying Mm -hmm. it it takes him hours to get back to a state of regulation. And then we have some kids who might get upset and one minute later, they're happy and smiling and running (laughs) off. Yep. You know, I think the difference is that if you think about like a scale, uh, like a seesaw. Yeah. For some kids, something negative might happen and tip the seesaw to the side. And all it takes is one positive experience on the other side to bring them back to center. Mm -hmm. But for some kids, you might think about that their seesaw is not centered. Like say the triangle part of the seesaw is way off to the side. Oh yeah. They have a negative reaction that tips their seesaw makes them dysregulated. It might take them five, six more positive interactions to get that seesaw back to balanced, you know? So I think knowing where your kid lies Mm -hmm. in that sensitivity of what sort of thing tips them more, because we all have that too, right? Like lights and noise tip me more than touch. It's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So to review Sensory regulation helps us be open to learning and be like the best human that we can be, whatever it is. But we all have different levels of input we're taking in in the same situation all the time. And senses, what are the senses again? Let's. So there's eight, but five that okay. most people. Know. <laughs> okay. So the five that, you know, we learn in school is touch, smell, taste, sight sound. Okay. Yep. And then the three that we use a lot in therapy that are less talked about are 
our vestibular sense, which is our sense of movement and balance. Okay. So these are, you know, the kids who are constantly running around or spinning, looking for that movement. They may, may be less sensitive to that okay. versus the child who doesn't like their feet being off the ground, gets really uncomfortable and scared, might be more sensitive. And then the other next sense is our proprioceptive sense, which is really our awareness of our body. Okay. So it's our all the input that we take in through our muscles and joints. So if we're pushing or we're pulling, that is giving us that type of input, and that's generally very calming input. Okay. So that's why you may hear therapists use the term like heavy work, yeah. meaning lifting or picking things up, which is supposed to be really calming because it's giving you that really deep pressure in your muscles and joints. Okay. And then the last one is interoception, which is your body's awareness of its internal sensations. So knowing when you're hungry, knowing when your stomach's full, knowing when you have to go to the bathroom, being able to read all of those signals in your body. Wow. So that is a lot of strings that a parent can pull to try to figure out their kid. And this seems like it's (laughs) lifetime work. Like as an adult, I can think of some of those things them that I'm going to have to investigate and think about like what triggers me where is my scale for that sort of thing thank you yeah thank you for coming on because sensory regulation this whole idea that all the input matters all the time we can't avoid it (laughs) yeah that's the thing is the world is a sensory place you know and it affects us whether we have sensitive sensory systems or not. It, it, well, I'm glad that we're here and exploring the world together. Thank you for being <laughs> on here. You have a podcast too, Jesse. Where can people follow you on your podcast? Yeah, ours is called Making the Shift and it's on YouTube, also on the podcast app. And it's really specific to autism. So it's awesome. how to support sensory, emotional, social development in autistic kids. Excellent. And then you can find me on social media. I'm Sensory SLP. Yes. And that will all be in the show notes. But I have two last questions for you. What are you doing to take care of yourself while you're growing this last, this baby and doing all your work? Okay. I really love this question because I, everyone knows mom guilt. Everyone listening to this knows that. And now all of a sudden I have three kids and two businesses and my fourth baby on the way. And it's easy to feel like I'm missing something. Yep. And I had a mentor say to me, because I said to her, I was saying, I always pictured myself as the mom who's going to pick up my kids from school. I always thought like, Oh, I'll be off at, you know, three 30. And of course, that's not how life is. The They all have different drop-off, pick-up pick up times, and there's early <laughs> days, and it's not 3.30 ever. No. It's like 1.30, and then I have two hours of work that I could fit in. Anyway, so I had all this guilt I was carrying because I my mom was the one picking up my kids from school every day. And um, so my mentor said to me, well, like, that's her joy in life is picking up the kids. And I think it was one of those things where I just realized, like, why? I don't want to take that joy from her. She loves that time she gets to spend with them. And then I don't have to feel like my workday is three hours long. So I think um, 
using your village, you know, and then not feeling bad about it. Absolutely. What a gift. Yeah. Well, how are you having fun with your family? What's your family fun? What's an idea you can share? So it's funny because I always believe this in therapy, but then I had this kind of like big um, moment in my life where I realized this was just true and taking care of my own kids, which is the concept that less is more, you know, I don't know. If, have you seen that documentary minimalism? Yes. On Netflix? Okay. So that documentary changed my life because I was recently divorced when I saw it and I was, I moved into a new place and I had my two young kids and I was like, I don't want the clutter in this house. I don't want the things and the things aren't what make people happy. Yeah. You know? Um, so, and I've always had that approach in my therapy of like, well, I want the connection to be with me and the child, not the child and the toy. Yeah. So I started more applying that into my own life of like, we just have less stuff. And now it's like, we got this awesome couch with different sections. And that's what the kids do every day <laughs> is they're like building things and making a slide out of the couch. And I'm not saying we don't have toys, but we have way less toys. Yeah. So yeah. I think that idea that like the you know, the thing isn't, the things aren't what people bring people happiness. It's the connection with others. Yeah. I think parents are their kids' favorite plaything. Yeah. They just want you. Yeah. They just really want you, whatever that looks like. It's amazing. Well, thank you for sharing. Thank you for coming on and explaining sensory needs and how it can input, how it can impact every part of our day. And um, I know it's really helpful for me to learn more about this, even with kids that are 10, 15, and 16. And I know that people with littler kids, it's a greater impact because they can't share what's impacting them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you so much for having me. By the way, Jesse, you're exactly the right mom for your kids. <laughs> thank you. You are exactly the right mom for your kids, too. And I'm so glad you're here on Earth with me in this moment. Now, don't forget, please find the show notes and look up the Good Enough Mom Society. If you sign up by February 14th, I'm going to send you 10 days of Valentine's before the program, this brand new community, opens on February 24th. I can't wait to see you there. Whenever you're listening to this, I hope that you have a good enough day. Thanks for keeping calm and mothering on with me.